0: Welcome to the podcast of the Preaching Ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, good morning, church. It is great to see you this morning, and I, I pray our time together would be an encouragement to you and a blessing. Um, As as some of you know, uh, most of you probably know this, we've been in a sermon series, actually the last couple of summers. Uh, We began our time last summer in uh, looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This is found in your Bible in uh, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out, um, open them up. We'll be in chapter 6 today. Um, but we've spent a lot of time just digging through what Jesus has to say to us through one of the greatest recorded sermons um, of his ministry. This week, we're in chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And Jesus, again, brings crystal clear teachings to the very foundations of our existence. And he tells us, and he, he walks us through how we live our daily lives. So let's, let's look at and read our text for this morning. It's, it's a big one, so stay with me here. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." I'd like to take just a moment before we begin this morning and just go to our heavenly father in prayer will you bow your heads with me please father in heaven we need you we need you to illumine your word in our hearts and in our minds through the power of your holy spirit and grant us the conversion we've been talking about uh, of our obedience and worship to you lord god you are the true source of life and our righteousness. You are Jesus, the Messiah. Lord, you are gracious. And we ask you for your word to pierce through to our hearts to help us, to give us new life, Lord, to discern where we have traded your goodness for our selfishness. Forgive us where we have traded your daily provision, Lord God, for indulging in the lust of our appetites, Lord God. We ask for grace this morning where we have sacrificed contentment and satisfaction that you have offered and given so freely, and we have settled for uncertainty, fear, and anxiety. Lord, I pray for those this morning who struggle under the weight of anxiety, Lord God. I pray that your word would be a comfort to fragile souls. Lord, we commend this time to you. And we are grateful that your word will have its full effect in our lives, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So to recap... Jesus has been exposing the deceptions of lesser righteousness and, and true obedience in this, these passages of Scripture. Uh, he's been exposing our sin as a condition of the heart that requires conversion. It's not an effect of our actions that require behavior modification. It's something that needs new life. And that's what Jesus has been teaching us all throughout the Sermon on the Mount this summer. He's corrected the teachings of the religious leaders and how they were teaching the people to obey God's righteous law. And he's been directing the the, the regular practices of our righteousness in in our time here through chapter six. Um, And we see today there's a significant shift in Jesus' teaching and he helps us to know how we are to respond to all that he's been teaching us. So, he begins our passage of Scripture this morning with the word, therefore. And as you've heard, if you see a therefore in Scripture, you see what it's there for. And Jesus here is asking, he's eliciting a response from us. Another word for that is, he's addressing our worship of him. Our worship is how we respond to God's revelation in our lives. And that's what he's telling us. He's he's going to be teaching us this morning. He's going to be uh, teaching us and commanding us to worship him above all things. So yes, he begins his time with the therefore beckoning us to respond to him. So throughout the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus has kind of been giving us these two paradigms. He's been presenting us with some choices. Um, He's talked about the lesser righteousness of the Pharisees that's done in their own strength. He's talked about practicing righteousness before men on the earth. So he's basically talking about what we know to be our day-to-day lives, and he's contrasting it and keeps drawing our attention to heavenly things. We see this, and, and... He he brings it to a head in verse 24 of chapter 6 when he tells us that you cannot serve God and mammon or the wealth of the world, the things that the world, you can accumulate and the things that the world offers us. And he presents us with this choice and then we're confronted by therefore. So, we're left here with considering all that we know about existence, the the reality, our day-to-day life, how we practice everything we know and believe about Jesus, and then Jesus also is presenting the heavenly things and setting our minds on things above. And this choice that Jesus is presenting to us ultimately defines our worship. So will we offer a false worship that is found in the lesser righteousness that the Pharisees and scribes were teaching. A false worship offered to ourselves, really. That's what he's been teaching us throughout chapter six. We're hoping to impress people or feel better about ourselves or accumulate wealth, power, and possessions. Is, are, will we offer that false worship with our lives? Or will our worship be a testimony and toward a Gracious Heavenly Father. Worship that is born of conversion and through faith in Jesus Christ and the grace that he has given. And that's where our text meets us today. Jesus is teaching us and he's directing our worship as a right response to him. We're gonna look at today how conversion by faith in Jesus, frees our worship from the earthly anxieties that we all encounter and experience, and it transforms our worship into a joyous pursuit of the abundant life that God has promised us with Jesus in his kingdom. Therefore, do not be anxious just curious if those were the only words you heard this morning would that be enough the god of all creation asking you do not be anxious not asking telling you is that enough are those words hollow and empty of any power in your life Do the concerns of life overwhelm you to the point that we can just write this off like, well, you don't know what I'm going through, Jesus. How can you tell me not to be anxious? So we've all experienced anxiety from one degree or another. Now, I will admit, I'm a database administrator. I don't know anything about the physical, emotional condition of anxiety. I'm not studied in that. I don't know much about it. So I had to journey to our modern-day Tower of Babel, the Googles, and I asked them, tell me everything you know about anxiety. And uh, <laughs> quick tip, if you struggle with anxiety, I would not recommend the Googles. It's a bad... Well, it, it was overwhelming, Okay? The results of my search and the answers to my questions I were asking they weren't good. Um, our world, our culture, we are consumed by anxiety. We are completely lost in a never-ending quest for relief from anxiety, and and even followers of Christ are not immune from the crushing weight of anxiety. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would know that Jesus' words are powerful and effective in our lives. And we would look to him to begin, to sustain, and to complete the healing work in our lives. Therefore, do not be anxious. So this phrase is repeated three times in our passage this morning. And today we're going to look at three types of anxieties, uh, 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 three anxieties of life that point to our need for conversion in our worship of God, how we respond to him. So let's look at our text again. Therefore, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So what does Jesus mean here when he tells us not to be anxious? Does that mean we're not to be concerned about our daily lives, that we shouldn't worry about the complexities of life and how we're going to continue. <laughs> um, I did some, some rudimentary word study on the term that Jesus uses here, um, and, and there's no indication that it's a general concern for life. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. In fact, the term refers to kind of division and and a separation, a force that pulls apart. And this is something I think is key for us to keep in mind as we consider what Jesus is teaching here. So we're not talking about general concern. This is a force, like I said, that consumes our lives, It consumes us with fear of losing our lives. It consumes us, and little by little, it steals our affections, it steals our attention, and it steals our worship of God. And we need to hear Jesus' words this morning. Do not be anxious and be reminded Of the gospel mandate toward the end of our text today, when he says to seek first his kingdom and its righteousness. Friends, this is good news. Jesus has offered us help. And so let's look at our text. The first anxiety we see in our passage this morning is what I'm calling the anxiety of the physical. We see this in our text, and he says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink. So I think we would all agree, and if not, we can have this conversation later, but our lives are not merely physical compositions and chemical processes that just kind of get kicked off one day and at some point just spin into dust. Jesus here is making both a truth claim about the day-to-day dependence on him and a claim about all of life as he designed and created it. I recently, another confession, man, you guys are getting a lot of confession today. Um, Another confession, I am a middle child. Um, That might explain for some of you a lot about me if, if we're not that close, um, I was sandwiched in between the perfect favored child and the baby who was dearly loved. And then I was just kind of, oh yeah, you're here. <laughs> um, I recently sat down with my, my little brother and um, we talk about all kinds of things, but there are certain times when I sit down with my brother where I know where the conversation is going. He, he'll very pointedly, because he likes to get to the point, very pointedly and quickly ask me, what's God doing in your life? Uh, So I shared with him just kind of some of the struggles I had been going through and some of the things God has been teaching me. And then he kind of shared with me some of his struggles and frustrations and what God was teaching him And so I was, as he was sharing, I was reminded of our passage of Scripture today, and I was just kind of hoping to encourage him and offering it as a help, like, oh, Preston, here's what I'm going through. Here's what God's been teaching me through this passage of Scripture. And as little brothers are wont to do, he did not receive the communication as I intended him to receive it. (laughs) He's like, well, John, I that's great, but I'm not concerned about my day-to-day life. We trust God for our provision. He's never, we've never not had food. We've never not had water. We've never not had clothes. We never lacked for anything. And I was like, that's great, Preston. You totally missed what I was just saying. But anyway, (laughs) my prayer this morning, I say all that to say this, is that we would understand that God, yes, he is concerned about the details and the day-to-day activity of our lives, but he is also concerned about all our days, the ones that we don't know about, the ones that keep going after our life here has ended. And I pray that he would help us have a bigger picture of his concern for us and that that would comfort and help us in our day-to-day living. Jesus, as he has done in all of chapter six, he speaks to earthly activity here, what we will eat or drink. And then he directs our attention eternal. So he says not to worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. He's not trying to distract us here, friends. He's he's kindly leading us into repentance. Or in other words, he's, he's kindly leading us to turn from the anxieties and the fears and the worries that overwhelm and consume our lives and look to him and trust that he will supply all of our needs, both for today and through eternity. The Bible teaches us that sin has caused a separation between the very source of our lives between us and God and our minds and our hearts and our will the core of who we are we have been deceived they have been darkened to believe a lie that tells us that what sustains our physical bodies, our physical existence, is physical. But Jesus challenges this with the question, is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? And he's telling us that anxiety is the fruit of a life that is given to the pursuit of physical, uh, the physical reality that we live in, it's given in, in expense of the comfort and the satisfaction and the fulfillment that God has given us. As we further pursue our own needs and our own desires and our own wants and our own way of thinking and how we want to do life, anxiety just grows and grows in us. Because as much as we think we're, we're pursuing our good, we are further distancing ourselves from God who is good. And so he's calling us to repentance. When the money, when our calendar, when all the things that motivate us, when our fears are consumed, when just indulging our physical appetites, uh, the essential things that we need for life or we believe we need, when those consume us, and paralyze us, Jesus teaches us here that that is a false worship. We cling desperately to the here and now because if you really think about it, that's all we know. I mean, we can think about greater things and we can think about these abstract concepts like eternity. Um, But everything we experience, everything we've known up to this point is here. Here and now. It's limited to time, to space, and what we observe. And Jesus is telling us not to lose sight of the one who is greater than our existence. Not to lose sight of his goodness in pursuit of this physical uh, life that we live here. Not to lose sight of the goodness that he offers due to a fear of losing what we know. That's what conversion and worship accomplishes. That's what we're talking about. It sets right the priority of our lives to the only one, the only thing worthy of our, uh, worthy of our worship, that's Jesus. He tells us, seek first the kingdom of God. And its righteousness. So, is Jesus telling us we shouldn't care about physical things? Not at all. In fact, look at your text again there in the Bible. Jesus asks us to consider the birds of the air. This is an interesting thought exercise. He instructs us to literally think about birds flying around the sky, building their nests, eating. Does God provide for them? Does God meet all of their needs? Can I ask you, have you ever given one moment of your life in despair for the physical provisions of the birds? And I'm not talking philosophically here, I'm talking literally. Has the concern of the birds of the air dictated how you perform your day-to-day activities and lives? No. I'd guess no. Not to any measured degree. Do the birds of the air despair about their physical provisions? I mean, we see them, they're flying around and looking pretty busy. We can assume it's anxiety, but we don't know. Um, no, God is telling us here that I meet the needs of even the swallows and the sparrows, the blue jays, the cardinals. You're not concerned about them. Trust me, you are of more value than they. He is good, He loves us. Jesus doesn't dismiss our concerns, but He reminds us that our lives belong to the care of God. He values you, He's not absent from a single moment of your life. He's not absent from a single meal you enjoy. He's not absent from a single drink that you've ever taken in. God loves you, friends. You are much more valuable than you know and I know than we understand. But we look around, we see people hungry. We see people thirsty. Does Jesus love them less or is he calling us to some kind of apathy? No, friends, this is a slight tangent, but I would say that right worship of God through conversion turns the anxieties and the fears that we experience as we try to sustain our own lives. It converts that into generosity and love that seeks to meet needs with compassion. That's what Jesus has done for us. Mark 10, 45 tells us that he came to serve, to meet needs. He's his good God, and he is not calling us to apathy. He's not calling us to slough off the cares of the world. He's calling us to trust him with all of life. Sin has wreaked havoc on our Temporal existence, the what we know, the physical reality. As we learned in the verses uh, that P- uh, Pastor Nathan Shaver shared with us a couple weeks ago, in Chapter Six, he talked about earthly treasures—those things that we look to to provide value and worth and, and life here on Earth. He talked about how they, uh, well, he didn't talk about. It. He shared that the Bible teaches us that they can be destroyed, they can be stolen, they can turn to rust. Leave us unfulfilled, ultimately. And throughout chapter 6, Jesus, this is what he's been teaching us. He's been drawing our attention away from the momentary gratifications of life on this earth and the gains that we can achieve through our own means. And he's drawing our attention heavenly to the eternal Father, and as I was looking or, or, or preparing for this, God laid upon my heart 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, where God says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is, and this is key, imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you by a gracious God who's, who, by his power, is being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested with fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, the great hope of the Christian faith is not an absence of difficulty. It's not an absence of longing and wanting. It's not an absence of hard times going without. The great hope is that we have a God who loves us. He enters into our suffering, He suffers on our behalf, and then He promises us a salvation from eternal suffering. That's what I hope we see here this morning, that God is not just talking about your day-to-day salvation, although he, does love, he is interested in that. He is talking about your whole life. Through conversion, our worship is liberated from the constraints of our physical existence, and it embraces Jesus as our one and only source for life. So the second anxiety we see this morning, calling the anxiety of presentation. So included in Jesus' command to not be anxious about what you are to eat and drink is a command to not be anxious about what you will wear. So not only are we susceptible to giving ourselves over in false worship to the baser physical needs, Um, We are very easily distracted, but we are just as likely to be distracted by a false worship of ourselves. That's what Jesus is talking about, of how we present ourselves to the world. We give great care and effort to our presentation. And I would just uh, uh, offer a friendly warning here. If you feel or can casually dismiss, dismiss a, a fixation on how we present ourselves, on how we dress as some kind of superficial struggle, be careful. <laughs> we all present a certain image. There is a deep desire within us all to appear good. That's what sin has done in us. We want to cover up our shame. We want to hide those struggles that plague our thoughts and minds and our actions. So whether aesthetically or in our actions or in our stature or in in how we present ourselves, our reputations, we want to be thought of a certain way. Every single one of us struggles to keep hidden what we don't want others to know about us. And again, being consumed by this feeds anxiety. That's an effect of sin. We want to cover up. We want to look good. And we want other people to agree that we do look good. Said another way, if you look to our text, we want to be glorious. And we're we're no different than King Solomon. Now King Solomon would be considered from a presentation standpoint, how he presented himself to the world, incomparable in human existence. He was the richest man to ever have walked the earth. He was the wisest person to ever have spoken or, yeah, given counsel. He was the most powerful king that the world has ever known. And Jesus here tells us his glory was comparable to the common lily of the field. So are we not supposed to care about our good reputations and how we look? Are we not supposed to look attractive? No, Jesus is not dismissing our concerns here in that respect. Concerns about life are not harmful or destructive. Jesus commands us to not be anxious, not let those concerns and fears drive a further wedge between us and God, not to become an object of our worship. He tells us that unhealthily prioritization of how we project ourselves to the world is crippling, it's temporary, and it leads to our destruction. in commanding us to not be anxious. Jesus does not leave us here on our own to figure this out. Um, a common struggle I've heard uh, when, when talking to people about just struggles with anxiety, people who feel helpless against the weight of spiritual, emotional, physical, just crushing anxiety, um, one of the common struggles they, they, they've told me about is that there is no control over anything. They feel as if not being anxious, this command of Jesus, is impossible. And what I'm trying to communicate this morning is that it is impossible. <laughs> but Jesus here is not asking us to do something impossible. He is offering help to us. By his power. The more people try not to be anxious, it seems the stronger anxiety becomes. To where even anxiety itself becomes a source of anxiety. So, my prayer today is that though you may struggle with anxiety, your identity, who you are, is not your anxiety. It's not how you cope with the pressures of this life. Our identity comes from Jesus who created us, who is the king of his kingdom. Jesus does offer help. He is reminding you that when you are buried and helpless against an enemy that you can't see, an enemy that you can't defend, and an enemy that you can't control, here's words, friends, do not be anxious. Your help isn't going to come from physical prowess or the day-to-day physical elements that are required for your life. Your help is not gonna come from how well you put yourself together and present yourself to the world. It does not come from a good reputation. Your help is not found in any Ability in and of yourself to pull yourself up out of the mire. Do not be anxious, friends. Your rescue, your help, is in the one who has come near to you. Hear the words of Psalms 40. He has inclined to you. He has heard your cries. Jesus is the one who draws you out of the pit He is the solid rock and foundation that secures your steps and he is asking us today to trust him and to worship him. Do not be anxious, friends. He's got you. He loves you. Jesus instructs that when we worship our own glory, that's a false worship false worship that leads to anxiety, which further exacerbates that division of our relationship with God. And we see that through conversion, our worship is rescued from the delusion of our own greatness, and it is captivated by the glory of Jesus who sits enthroned as the king in his kingdom. Seek him first and his righteousness The third and final anxiety that we see in our passage this morning is what we're calling the anxiety of potential. Look to your text here. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Anxiety about tomorrow is really the heart of, of all of our fears and anxieties. Jesus wraps up everything in this nice little bow. All our concerns about the unknown, all our worries and fears about the uncertain, all of our yearning to know for certain that God is true, all of it reveals that we are deathly afraid of what might be. I know that sounds kind of silly, but we are deathly afraid of what tomorrow may hold for us, as we mentioned in our uh, prayer of confession this morning. So there's either, we either really want tomorrow to get here now so that we can enjoy what we've anticipated, or we really want tomorrow to wait for another 24 hours because we're afraid of what it might bring. What Jesus is telling us here is that our day, today, is the day that you need to hear the gospel. Today is filled with enough trouble as it is. We can't even comprehend tomorrow, let alone deal with the unknowns that tomorrow may bring. Therefore, do not be anxious. Who holds your future, friend? Who holds your eternity? Is is it the eternal God who created you, who spoke all things into existence? When you think about your future, when you think about your tomorrows, what questions do you have? What fears does it raise? Where do you struggle with believing the good news that we have in Jesus When the prospect of your final days play out in your mind, what are those things that you hold dear? What are those things that you feel like you'll miss? Or or what regrets do you have? Jesus is addressing all of that. He is wrapping up all our anxieties in this final anxiety, and we are left confronted by our mortality as sinful people the entirety of our lives is based on a belief and hope for tomorrow. And this is by design, friends. Ecclesiastes 3:11 tells us that it is God who has set eternity upon our hearts. And without tomorrow, we're hopeless. We are just physical creatures that go along and then fade into dust. Without that hope, So again, I ask you, who holds your future? Who holds your tomorrow? Are you entrusting it to the care of the Lord? Or are you determined to cling to what you know about your life? You do not determine your tomorrow. You do not control where tomorrow will take you. The promise and the hope of tomorrow will never be realized in our physical reality. Our bodies don't last. This is a painful lesson that many of us are learning. There is coming a day when we will not eat or drink on this earth. The promise and hope of tomorrow will not be realized by what the world believes about us. I don't mean to be a downer here, but the world is gonna forget all about us. And as I was trying to wrap my mind around that, feeling very sad, I'm like, but God, I'm very important. It would be great if everyone would remember me. Um, I was reminded of my grandpa. I loved my grandpa. Um, I got to live with my grandpa for about three years in college and we became very close and I got to learn a lot about his life. Um, But he lived to be 74 and I got to be close for three of those and I can't even remember the day-to-day interactions we had. I do remember a faithful testimony of God's grace in his life. But there is a huge gap in my memory of my grandpa. One, because he lived a lot lot of life before I even came into the picture. That's what Jesus is telling us here, that our glory will fade. The promise of tomorrow has been, it always will be, found in the eternal joy with Jesus in his kingdom and the righteousness that he has given us. That is a treasure that never fades. That is a glory that is worthy of our worship friends. That is the all that will be added unto you. Another confession. I used to think that the all that Jesus was talking about here was limited to the things that he's described, the food, the drink, the reputation, the possessions. I used to be wrapped up in thinking that if I just claim to be a Christian, then I get the good life. That was extremely short-sighted of me. I was so consumed and focused on my day, on my good, on what I wanted to do, And I was believing a false gospel. So it's important for us to remember that all that Jesus is talking about is that he has given his whole life so that you would believe. He gave up his physical body on the cross. He died. And God raised his physical body from the dead so that the sting of death The fear of death holds no power over those who seek first his kingdom and trust his righteousness. The glorious king and creator of all things, the incomprehensible, was rejected by us. He was reviled, cursed, spit upon, denied, so that those who would believe his message would be welcomed in and seated at his table and enjoy life with him. Through conversion, our worship is redeemed from the hopeless anxieties of today and it is renewed by the hope of eternal tomorrows with Jesus in his kingdom Enjoying true righteousness that he gives. Friends, that's the good news of Jesus today. Our our lives find their joy in Jesus. Our lives find their meaning in Jesus. Our Our lives find their source in Jesus. Our lives find all these things in Jesus. Let's pray.